It's Senior Day at Beaver Stadium this Saturday. Rutgers is the opponent. So to learn more about the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, I brought in the, an expert to tell us all about the season so far for a team whose uh, bowl appearance is hanging on the line right now at 5-5. Five and five. James Cratch of NJ.com joining the BWI Daily Edition. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time today. Anytime, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, so this is a really interesting situation with Greg Schiano coming back to Penn State. Uh, I know that was a, a storyline. He was asked about that earlier in the week. What did he have to say about that, and how did he, I guess, reflect on where he got his coaching start? He didn't say a whole lot. I think what you learn with Greg is Greg's not a big kind of nostalgia guy or reflection guy, especially in the moment here. But he did you know, mention, obviously, Joe Paterno was a major mentor and, and force in his career. Uh, Dickie Anderson, the former Rutgers head coach, uh, who was, gave Greg his first kind of college job, grad assistant job, I believe in 1989. Then he got fired. He went back to Penn State, and Greg followed him to Penn State. So obviously a lot of memories for Greg uh, going back to Penn State and everything. Uh, it's not the first time he's been back. You know, He did go a couple times as a defensive coordinator at Ohio State. But yeah. obviously he made it clear that it was important to him, but he's pretty focused on the task at hand right now. The task at hand is getting his team bowl eligible, as I said earlier. Uh, I'll start on offense, just kind of go through the team and their their makeup, their personality at this point in the season. And one thing when I was looking at at, at the just the statistical breakdown, there were 17 rushers for Rutgers this year. What's going on in that situation? I mean, you got quarterbacks. I saw a rush by a lineman. What's going on with the uh, with the offense for Rutgers this year? Yeah, so the rush was against Indiana in a 38-3 win. Uh, Raquan O'Neal, lateral for a touchdown. Uh, was a, It looked like a pass, but it was a rush because it was behind the line of scrimmage. He's actually now scored two touchdowns in his career. He did it last year against Ohio State, this year against Indiana. Same play. So he's averaging five and a half yards per carry for his career at, at two carries in total. They do have a lot. They've, they've used a lot of running backs on the quarterback. That's kind of helped the situation. They've used, off the top of my head, five different players at quarterback this year. Obviously, Noah Vedrill's the starter. Evan Simon and, and Cole Snyder are kind of the 2A and 2B backups. Uh, they've been very clear they don't want to set uh, a pecking order between them, and they've kind of used both at certain times this year. Obviously, Gavin Wimsat, the heralded you know program building, you know, future of the program. He's had two games now. And then Johnny Langan, who's basically a tight end at this point in his career. Obviously, he's starting against the Nittany Lions in 2019. Uh, saw a lot of short yardage work last season. He's also been back there as well. So they do have a lot of options. They they like their running back depth, although they're a little bit banged up there. Uh, Jameer Wright-Collins, the guy who ran the ball earlier this year, he probably won't play this week. He's been out for a couple weeks. So they have a lot of options. They get the ball to a lot of guys. It's just this year. It's been a struggle to score points. Uh, I was I was watching a little bit of the film of Noah Vedrill. He seems like a pretty athletic guy. I I I went and I looked it up. He's going to be the best rushing quarterback that Penn State will see all season long. How has he contributed, and how has that helped the offense immensely? When, when Noah runs the ball, they look different, and they're you know he has ability to pick up you know third and long you know nothing open. He has ability to pick up a first down. Design runs, he can be very good at. He's a His mesh points are some of the best I've ever seen uh, in all my time covering football. You know, he really, even in the press box, you're watching, he can kind of fake you out where the ball is going in his own read. The problem with Vedril is he's a guy who has struggled with injuries uh, throughout his career. You know, he missed two games last year due to injury. Hasn't missed a game yet this year, but he was okay against Indiana. They had four straight games where Vedril had to leave the game for some stretch 
uh, due to injury. And, and three of the four, he didn't return to the game. So he's a guy who I think that when he runs the ball, this offense looks different. It's more productive. But you can't really go all in on design runs with him because you, you want to keep him on the field. Uh, so that brings us to the running game proper, a guy that James Franklin mentioned earlier this week in his press conference and a guy that Pensy fans are aware of at this point, Isaiah Pacheco. What sort of season is he having as the, I, I assume, the lead tailback in that large group of players that are carrying the ball for Rutgers? He, he is the lead tailback. Um, kind of the same it's been his entire career, kind of up and down. You know, Isaiah Pacheco is a guy who I think we're going to look, you know, I think he has one more year of eligibility left. It may be seen if he's going to take it or if he'll move on to the next level. I think either way, he's a guy who we're going to look back on and say, what would he have been if he had had a consistently strong offensive line in front of him? Mm -hmm. He's a guy who will go a couple of weeks, and if the line struggles, he won't do much. And if the line plays well, you know, he's a guy who will bust a 50-yard touchdown run and finish with 120 yards on the ground. Uh, he's a hard runner. I think when he gets going downhill, he's tough to stop. He's a guy who, if he gets north-south, he's going to break tackles. He's a very powerful, violent runner. Uh, Kyle Manungai is a guy who's kind of emerged as the number two back behind him. Uh, Don Bosco prep product. And then Aaron Young, obviously, is a guy who will get some touches. But he's a kind of a do-everything guy. He can line up in the slot. He'll use him at receiver. He'll get he had a couple of carries this past week. Uh, and then Ray Collins has obviously been out. So, and then I would say the fourth rushing option would be when they go to short yardage situations would be Langan coming in as that kind of like H back, uh, you know, short yardage quarterback. They have certainly have shown a lot of different looks on offense over the last couple of weeks, trying to generate some some push and some just mm -hmm. offense in general, right? And and, and the passing game, it, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about the passing game because uh, it seems like from what I've seen that Rutgers and Penn State have a similar problem of, I think, running the ball. Rutgers is good, and they, they don't lose yards, but there's not really a ton of explosiveness in that offense. Is that fair to say? And if, if not, uh, where where is it coming from? No, I think it's definitely fair to say. You know, big plays, chunk plays has been something this offense has struggled with uh, very much so this year, even a little bit last year. They don't have that, you know, big – and part of it, some of it's due to – injuries obviously Aaron Crookshank out for the season he lost Bo Melton for a week uh you know Crookshank had, had been out for a couple weeks before he came back and, and had the knee injury they don't have that punch they've really struggled to kind of establish the tight end in the offense and you know they just up front don't block well enough to I think in many ways look there's a lot of debate around town about Vegel's arm strength or, or lack thereof I think it's it's it, perfectly fine acceptable arm strength he he's, is going to underthrow some guys here and there but that's every college quarterback for the most part I think the big issue is they don't have the consistent pass protection to drop back and throw the ball down the field you need yeah. to be able to take those shots consistently because if you take five of them one of them is going to hit so that that brings me to my next question I was I was taking a look at things and and there's only I think six sacks that have been accredited to the offensive line for Rutgers according mm -hmm. to PFF so how much is Langan uh, I'm sorry, Vedral making up for that offensive line when it comes to breaking the pocket and scrambling. Is that something that Penn State's going to have to be on the watch for if uh, if there is pressure on the quarterback? Yes, I, I, it's part of that, but I think the bigger issue is they get rid of the ball fast. Gotcha. There's a lot of quick screen, you know, quick throws. You know, they sometimes their best running game is getting the ball to Bo Melton in space. You know, on a screen and trying to let him get an angle and make a move. Uh, so in, in the big picture, because I know you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, a quarterback of the future, 
Greg Schiano there in his second year kind of coming to to rebuild the program. Something I said, and I just I want to preface this with a quick story. After the loss to Michigan on my postgame show, I said uh, that you can't outcoach the talent gap sometimes. And, and I don't think I was correct to reference James Franklin by saying that in that moment. Penn State could have won that game. But when it comes to places like Maryland and Rutgers, there's clearly a talent gap between them and the middle of the Big Ten and, of course, the upper end of the Big Ten. So in those middle games... Has Greg Schiano shown that he can outcoach whatever talent gap there might be and win games or be competitive in games that Rutgers traditionally hasn't been? I think so. I mean, look, if you look at since Greg came back, they've played two close games with Michigan. Obviously, tri- lost in triple overtime last year. I had a 17 nothing lead. Um, I, I always am kind of hesitant to go look at the COVID year. I think that in many ways the COVID right. year has proven to not be real for anyone. But even yeah. this year, 21-13, the big house – uh, Michigan is is much more talented team. They're a better team. But if one or two things broke Rutgers' way, they, they could have conceivably won that game. They beat Michigan State last year. Um, it was 31-13 this year, but it was a game that was a little bit more competitive than the score looked. Um, Ohio State, you really can't over you know yap that. I mean, they had a, yeah. they played a bunch of trick plays last year in the second half. But I think that was Ohio State kind of taking its foot off the gas. Uh, this is the game where I think is the most intriguing because I remember last year. A lot of people thought, you know, Penn State was one and five. Rutgers had a, at home had a really good chance to win the game. Uh, Penn State dominated them. I, I think the score was only twenty three to seven or something like that. But it was a game where it was very obvious, like being in the stadium, that like Penn State was far and away above. That being said, when Penn State's had quarterback injury issues, like about eighteen when McSorley was banged up, nineteen when Clifford was out this year, when they're kind of struggling, and maybe Clifford, you know, what's his status? Penn State has shown that like, if there's a little bit of vulnerability, Rutgers can hang around in recent years, maybe for a half, for, you know, for a little bit of that into the third quarter. That's what I'm intrigued to see on Saturday. I think Greg's shown that he can be competitive with Michigan. Uh, Ohio State is still far down the road. I think right. Penn State's the real test. Because every, uh, every time I, I've covered pretty much every Rutgers game for the last four years, there's only like, three schools where I think there's a massive talent gap each year. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Mm-hmm. He's kind of narrowed the gap, managed to coach over the gap with Michigan, Ohio State. No, this is going to be a big test of Penn State. And that's kind of uh, watching. The, the problem with Ohio State is the way certain teams want to play, it matches up very poorly against Ohio State. And mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot on film that Ohio State likes to play, or I'm sorry, Rutgers and Greg Schiano seem to like to play man coverage. And mm-hmm. if you're doing that against uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot and your third best corners there, that's not a great formula. Um, so I guess how has Michigan played? First off, is that a fair assessment? And then if it is, how close is Schiano to playing that way on defense? And is he able to do that? You know, I think it's, it is a fair assessment for the most part. I think that the big thing for Rutgers is going to be, in terms of it, recruiting, obviously moving forward, they have a very veteran group uh, coming into the season that hasn't really lived up to expectations in the secondary. And we've started to see more young guys sprinkled in. Um, you know, The big thing that Greg has said is that he doesn't really necessarily want a game plan for a season or game plan, for, you know, obviously game plan, but he doesn't want to build a season. He wants to build a program. And mm-hmm. I think that he is, tends to maybe do some things defensively 
that are in the small picture, maybe not ideal, but in the big picture will benefit the program going forward. You know, I think that they've struck a kind of a balance of developing young players, but also realizing that the young players might be the best guys on the roster. And, and, and stopping the run seems to be mm-hmm. paramount in all of that. How have they gone about doing that? And, and who were the guys to know at that particular spot? Yeah, so the run game, run defense has been kind of up and down. You know, last year the run defense was a, you know, you go to the Michigan game, Illinois game, they lost those games in part because they couldn't stop the run in the second half. They had a really, they played the run tremendously well against Michigan. Um, they kind of faltered a little bit against Michigan State. Delaware ran the ball really well on them. So kind of this is up and down team, but then they stopped a good running game at Syracuse. You know, Efine Maggio was a defensive tackle transfer from Temple. Had some injury issues early on in the year. He's really come on strong. He's a guy who I think is starting to build draft buzz, you know, with the way he's played. Um, Keontae Hamilton, um, true freshman, uh, standout wrestler. He initially committed to Rutgers as the heralded heavyweight, you know, know, all-American candidate. Uh, He also has played football. He is burst on the scene. He started at nose guard. Sorry, he's played nose guard. He's played defensive end. He's played defensive tackle. He's even played tight end. He's been very active and everything. And the defensive ends this year, it's been kind of strange. They, the defensive ends had a, were very kind of noticeable in the pass rush last year. H- have not been as much this year, but they like the way they're kind of holding the edge. C.J. Anyechi, Mike Tverdoff, Aaron Lewis. Uh, Mohamed Ture is a guy who was kind of a pass rush specialist as a linebacker last year. He's moved down to end. So they're going to rotate a lot of guys in. Uh, amazingly, they're pretty healthy on the defensive line at this point in the year, which is something I don't think a lot of teams necessarily can say. Uh, they're going to rotate a lot of guys in, and they're pretty confident in that group. Uh, one guy that stood out to me was uh, nose tackle Julius Turner. He leads the team in pressures. He's yes. one of the better players in pass rush from the defensive interior. How has he performed this year outside of that in in the nose tackle role, I guess, in general? Yeah, he is a, a tremendous story. He's a guy from Mississippi who had group of five offers. Rutgers took a flyer on him. Uh, he came up here. I think it was the only Power Five offer. First guy high school ever been to a Big Ten school, and he was always a good, serviceable, rotational player. But when Greg Shiano took over and introduced the tilted nose position in the defense, uh, it just like it's opened everything for Turner. It's amazing how just lining up a little bit tilted has opened up his speed, his quickness, everything. He's a playmaker, I and mean, he's a guy you, who can wreck a game if an offensive line doesn't take care of him. I think the big key for him has been last year, teams would kind of double-team him, wash him out of plays, use his aggressiveness against him. That hasn't happened as much this year. He's a guy who plays a lot bigger than he is, and he can shoot gaps and blow up your run game, no doubt. Yeah, he uh, he's kind of a problem for teams if he's on the front side of a run. You know, on that side of the nose, it's kind of yeah. a wall right there if you're trying to run inside zone, which everyone's running inside zone. Uh, the linebackers, I know, have been, from reading some of your work, that's been a bit of a thing up in the air because of some injuries of position. <laughs> What's the status for that group coming into this game? Yeah, it's not really clear. I mean, I think uh, Tyreek Maddox-Williams, Tyshawn Fogg, Olakuni Fadakasi all missed uh, the winning over Indiana. They, you know, Drew Singleton, a guy who was a um, parallel recruit, went to Michigan, transferred back to Rutgers, Jersey guy. And Tyreen Powell, who I, I believe was recruited by Penn State, um, he kind of made his first career start, had a pick. They played really well. Um, you're going to see, I think, it, I my guess is that those guys might still be a week or two away. 
you know, maybe they get one of them back. I do think you're going to see a lot of four-two-five looks. We saw a lot of that against Indiana. We were even seeing that earlier in the season. I do think you're going to probably see an extra defensive back coming in lieu of a third linebacker, just because that's the way the depth shapes out. I think they're much more comfortable with their fifth defensive back than with their third, sixth linebacker, basically. Uh, you mentioned the Jersey guy coming back to New Jersey after going to Michigan. That was kind of a theme of the transfer portal with Greg Schiano in year one. How has that worked out and has he continued that? Cause I know Aaron Crookshanks is another guy who was a, a former New Jersey native, went away, came back uh, once Shiano was hired. Is that correct? And how has that gone? Uh, Crookshanks, a Brooklyn guy. Um, okay. But, Sorry. You know, I know that's probably a big no, deal. <laughs> no, a little bit. No, it has been, you know, that's something I think they, they focused on. You know, the guys who come back. You know, I think the transfer portal, it's kind of interesting. I I think there was a belief early on, especially when you look at their 2020 transfer portal hall, Crookshank, um, Noah Vedral. You know, you bring in uh, Michael Dwumfor, who was a defensive tackle at Michigan. Another New Jersey guy came in, had a really good year before he went on to, you know, pursue a professional career. Brendan White, who was a safety at Ohio State when Greg was there, Rose Bowl MVP, comes in, uh, struggled with injuries. They got a lot of impact players out of the portal in 2020. So far in 2021, they really haven't gotten much impact. You know, they signed a cornerback, Christian Braswell from Temple, blew out his knee out for the season before, you know, training camp starts. Uh, Josh Youngblow was an All-American return man at Kansas State, so struggled with leg injuries. He just finally is on the kickoff return team now that he's healthy and Crookshank's out. And, look, Penn State's going to boom the ball from the back of the end zone. We're not going to see much of him. You know, Maja is a guy who has played well of late but wasn't a starter beginning of the year. So that is their approach. I think they, they want to go into the transfer portal for need, cultural fit. That being said, I think we're starting to see with the portal, it's very similar in my opinion. I used to cover the NFL, the NFL free agency. Yeah, We're talking about B-plus players who are getting A-plus, not A-plus money in this case, but, you know, if you're a good offensive tackle at a max school – and you go in the portal, like Alabama wants you. You're not going to necessarily go to Rutgers. So I think we're seeing that, that it's not something that you can, you know, the guys who are in the portal are in the portal for a reason. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you might get a Justin Fields, but you're really, you're not going to get that more often than not. So I think this is going to be a big test for Rutgers. Because they, you know, they've got to have a little bit of scholarship crunch. How many high school recruits they bring in for a pretty good ranked class at this point? How many guys do they get out of the portal? And, does the portal allow them to kind of speed up the rebuild a little bit more? Because right now, I don't think the portal has necessarily expedited things more than it was a year ago. So in general, recruiting in New Jersey and on the East Coast is is a dogfight between Ohio State and Michigan coming in. And I know Michigan has strong ties in the New Jersey area. They always get guys like um, Rashawn Gary out of New Jersey. And Penn State obviously has some ties in the area as well. What has Greg Schiano done in that aspect and then kind of in that region uh, as far as recruiting? Have, has he been able to make any headway for Rutgers in that area? He definitely has. I mean, I think the big key with Greg is that he's always been the one guy who can kind of – New Jersey's a strange place, you know, quirky place. North Jersey, South Jersey, the parochial schools of Bergen County, big public schools in the South – Greg's always been the one guy who can kind of get everybody to the table moving in the same direction. So I think that has certainly helped. I think there's been a boost of in-state recruiting in the sense that if you look back at Greg's first tenure here, he got a couple of, you know, the number one recruits in the state a couple of times. But he never, like Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, they always did really well with the top five kids in New Jersey in the cycle, the top ten. 
Greg's ability was he built those teams under on recruits, you know, 11 to 25. Rutgers was struggling to get those guys under Kyle Flood and then Chris Ash. I think Greg has shored that up. You know, I look back to the 2020 recruiting class when he just got hired. Max Melton, the cornerback, Tyreen Powell, you know, guys like Chris Long, um, backup quarterback, over out of state, um, no, it should be in-state. Those were guys that Chris Ash should have had committed to Rutgers in the first place. Greg was able to kind of flip them, get them in the program. We haven't really seen him necessarily punch up yet, but I think we're that's going to come when they start to win more. But the biggest thing is they've been locking down those second-tier recruits that they need that can be quality starters in the Big Ten. How much is is bowl eligibility playing into this game for Rutgers? And, and I don't, I apologize, I don't know who their their opponent is. Is it Maryland, the final game of the season? Maryland, yep. Okay, so how how is that sort of narrative playing into this game against a team that against Penn State, obviously not their best season? It kind of feels mm-hmm. like Rutgers smells blood in the water to a certain degree. Is that is that fair? Definitely. I mean, look, I think that obviously people are excited about a bowl game, but they're also excited about beating Penn State. You know, I, I think right. in many ways, be, getting a win over Penn State is like the last hurdle for people here to feel like they truly belong in the Big Ten. It's been something they've kind of been striving for. It hasn't happened since 1988. The guys on the 88 team are happy to take your phone call, but they would prefer that they don't have to get called anymore at some point. They'd, they'd like to pass the torch on. You know, I think and obviously Greg's ties to Penn State adds to that. I do think that, yeah, obviously, look, they know that no matter what, they're going to be at home against Maryland, a team that they match up. You know, they should coin flip game, chance to go to a bowl game. But I do think there is an excitement of, hey, could we get Penn State? So I think it's it would be a big milestone kind of cathartic moment for the program and all it's been through. And I look at Penn State, you know, look, I think Penn State's in a unique situation where they're 6-4 and four and, and you kind of wonder, like, what do they have to play for you know, at this point? You know, they're kind of locked in. You know, they're probably not going to a New Year's Six Bowl. That's off the table. You know, obviously, you're not going to win a conference title. So I think people think, well, maybe we can kind of catch them slipping. And obviously, the fact that Penn State lost Illinois and Rutgers beat Illinois, that also kind of gives a little bit of uh, optimism and confidence. Although, obviously, that's kind of apples and oranges and all that weird stuff with the nine-overtime game. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a... For Penn State fans, the idea of losing to Rutgers or losing to Temple is uh, that's a nightmare scenario. I think that would mm-hmm. be the end of the season for Penn State, regardless of whatever happens after that, for Penn State fans to lose to Rutgers. So it's a it's a big moment for James Franklin on that end of the spectrum. So getting back onto the field with uh, with the team, what do you think are the keys to this game that you're looking at as far as what's going to determine the win-loss for both teams? Well, I think first off for Rutgers, they they got to protect the football. They're five and zero, and they don't commit a turnover this year. So if they can protect the football, they got a shot. I don't think it guarantees a win, but we this team has shown that they they can't turn the ball over. I do think they need to get some takeaways. When I mean, you look at the Indiana game, uh, kind of free offense basically. When you're, when you're recovering the ball on the ten, on the twenty, it's a lot easier. This is the Rutgers offense struggles with big plays. You know, they don't want to be in a situation where they have to go methodically 75 yards. You know, they, you can only do that so many times against Penn State. I, I think that's a big key. I think the punting game, I think, is going to be huge. We're talking yeah. about the two uh, top two net punt teams in the nation. You know, Rutgers, I believe, Adam Korsak, I, I've seen his whole career. I He's the best punter in America, in my opinion. I can't imagine anyone being – I think he's a guy who could be a real weapon in this game. 
you know, adding special teams too. I, I think that, you know, not even so much making a big play, but just kind of buttoning things up, preventing a big play. And I think after that, it's going to come down to the trenches. You know, mm-hmm. Rutgers has to, you know, have, they struggle to get a pass rush all year. They got to muster something. And that offensive line just has to find a way to kind of hang in the game. Last year, they got dominated up front, both sides. That can't happen if they're going to have a chance to win. James Cratch of NJ.com. We're talking about uh, Rutgers, Penn State coming up noon. You can check out the BWI Live postgame show right here on YouTube after the game, 15 minutes after the final whistle. Uh, I'm interested to see how Vedral does and Penn State does against a mobile quarterback. Now, they've they've been in athletic quarterbacks they faced, from Bo mm-hmm. Nix to Talia Tunga Valoa. They like to scramble. Vedral's the the first like actual dual threat they've seen this year, which is pretty strange. Like that, There was a time where they were seeing yeah. that on a routine basis. And James Franklin said that they, they switched up how they rushed the passer because they were letting too many quarterbacks break the pocket and make plays and, you know, make plays with their legs. So how they do and how that happens against uh, Vedral, because if he can scramble and throw in a little bit with his arm, that might throw Penn State off kilter a little bit on defense because, you know, being able to stop the run against Penn State is great. He's mm-hmm. just going to make Penn State fans mad. That's all it's going to do because Penn State, the offense does not care. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I definitely think Vedral's a guy who's going to be key no matter what. He's got to protect the football. And if he can make some things happen, extend drives, that's going to help this team. I do think this is going to be a game we saw it a little bit last year. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at Penn State. You know, I think yeah. you're going to see trick plays. You're going to see unique looks. You're going to see, you know, they're going to do creative things with Langan. That's see, that's that's an interesting thing to me, and and we'll get it out of here in just a little bit. But one one thing that I'm always interested in is Illinois out of their bye week has this massive new package that nobody's ever seen on film against Penn State. Minnesota mm-hmm. did the same thing in 2019. It, Rutgers has done that in the past. So everyone's coming for Penn State, you know, like that. Not to not to paint it in like a hunted sort of way, but in these situations, Penn State fans on the flip side are mad that Penn State never does that. But James Franklin believes just playing his game is going to win him games and playing the way you're, you know, his system is designed. Uh, in this particular game, do you think that's enough? I don't know. I, you know that's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think that no matter what trick plays you do, like the physicality has to be there up front. I think that's mm-hmm. the big step. And it's, it's kind of strange because, like, you know, in past, I was like, no way Rutgers can line up with Penn State in the trenches. But then you look and they held up pretty well against Illinois. Obviously, transitive property, all that stuff. But yeah. Even against Michigan, they held up pretty well. You know, this is a team that, for some reason, they have issues on the offensive line. I, I don't. They're still a year or two away from being where they want to be there. But sometimes when they can just move head to head, just go straight forward, run right at people, it, it, they sometimes are quite effective. So I'm just kind of curious if that's if it's going to be one of those games where they're able to kind of run right at the Nittany Lions and it, it works for them. But this Nittany Lions defense is, is tough. Yeah. So I think that also throws into the equation. Yeah, it's it's a it's a unique matchup because the strength of that team too on defense is in the secondary and this is a team that doesn't really throw the ball down yeah. the field. It doesn't challenge that part of the game. So I, that's why I'm curious. Is it going to throw them off a little bit? Are they going to be caught off kilter by some of the things that Rutgers does? So it should be a good game. And I've said this before on some of my shows, Penn State is going to be in every single game they play, but they're not going to blow anybody out. Like the other team's going to be in the game too. So it should be at least an entertaining game for everyone involved on Saturday. James Cratch, NJ.com. What are you working on this week where people can go find and, and read from you? Just go to NJ.com. 
uh, NJ.com slash Rutgers, everything will be there. Uh, working on some stuff, obviously, from the Rutgers perspective, you know, 1988 comes up a lot. You know, the, the rivalry or lack thereof with the Nittany Lions, um, you know, working on something. You know, I think one of the kind of unique things about Rutgers is of their starting offensive line, three of their starters are converted defensive linemen who have converted since Greg Schiano got here. In fact, Ireland Brown, who I expect to start at guard, he converted midweek. He, he literally played nose guard in the opener against Temple. Midweek, they, before the Delaware game, which is the third game of the year, they moved him to guard. He played that week. Now he's starting in the Big Ten a couple weeks later. So kind of a crazy story. Another guy who went to Boston College, first war transferring in. Um, New York guy who went to high school in New Jersey. I, another guy I believe also that the Lions recruited once upon a time. Should be a great game. Uh, James, thanks for coming on the show. I always appreciate it. You got it. That is going to do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I always say, if you've gotten to this point in the show, you enjoyed it. So hit the like button. Let everyone else know that you like this video. And uh, we'll keep putting out more content here for Penn State football fans. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to practice tonight. And we'll have post-practice updates from Nate Bauer here on the BWI Daily Edition. Of course, as I mentioned before, the live post-game show with Tom Hannafin and myself, co-host of the Pater Podcast. That'll be live 15 minutes after the game. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll see you then.